Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are alive. Thank you that we are one with you, Lord Jesus. Your word says that we are seated with you already now in the heavenly realms. Jesus, thank you that you're with us this morning to stir up and to strengthen that new life that we have in you. And so, Lord, even as you've called us out of death and you've given us new life, we hear you and we invite you to call um, us out of places of death. Lord, there are places in our hearts and our lives that haven't come alive, where your light hasn't come in. And so we invite you this morning to shine your light, Lord. We trust you. We invite you to make us all the more fully alive in and with you. Amen. Amen. Friends, the Lord is present. And He greets us this morning with these words. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Amen. I invite you to take many moments to greet each other with the love of God. I invite the children and um, children's leaders to be dismissed at this time to go on and continue in your worship. Bless you as you go. And for the rest of us, we're going to enter into a time of family prayer. And for our guests, that's a time when we um, speak out our prayers to the Lord from wherever we are. And um, Scott and Jenny, where does Scott and Jenny go? Yeah, Scott and Jenny, can you come up and join me for a minute? To start off our prayer time, um, we're going to give praise to the Lord and we're also going to pray together. You know, the church loves and we rejoice with one another and we cry with one another, right? And so um, we are so grateful that um, the Lord has given Torrance, her last middle name is? Emerald. Torrance Emerald to Scott and Jenny. A week ago today. A week ago today. We're so grateful for this gift of new life and we celebrate with them. But we also cry with them because they have been crying out to the Lord for housing, for a long time. And um, they are living in very not helpful circumstances for a family that has a new baby. And um, I think that's probably, I don't know if I need to say, you want to say any more about how you're... Yeah. Yeah. So um, Jenny is living um, at her mom's. With the three children. In one bedroom. In one bedroom, off the living room, one small bedroom. And Scott has been sleeping in his car for weeks and weeks. And we've been praying for housing. And so as a church together today, I invite us all to pray that the Lord would open up a place where this family with a newborn could be together. And so would you pray with us, please? Lord, would you show us how to pray for Scott and Jenny and their three precious children? Lord, we thank you that you've, you've designed family and you've called for a mother and a father to raise their children. And Lord, we want to see this family living together 
in a safe place where mom and dad can both participate in parenting and that communication could be good and that discipline could be by both parents and, Lord, that love and nurture could be by both parents. Lord, they're both tired and yet they're here this morning saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, we need you. And so, Lord, would you open up a way and would you show us as a church now how to pray for Scott and Jenny and for all those that are looking for a safe place to sleep at night. Lord, we are so grateful for your love. Lord, you who are love, Lord, um, and we are so grateful to receive your love. And Lord, we want to see other lives receive the same hope and the same joy, the same forgiveness of sins, the same hope of not only eternity, but the hope of new life in you now. And so, Lord, um, we do pray in agreement that you would continue to give us opportunities in our daily lives. Lord, we pray that your love would not only change our hearts, but it would change this neighborhood and it would change the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One um, way that this tiny congregation um, on one little spot on this whole globe is involved with God's love, changing hearts and lives around the world, is through training. One of the gifts that we have is um, a, a board, a leadership team, who said, we cannot help but send out workers into the harvest. And um, they've started by sending pastors and letting us go and train other pastors and leaders of churches. And Pastor Dave is getting ready to go to South Korea. And um, last year, as you'll, those of you who are here, remember that there was a group of pastors from house churches, underground churches, um, that came to this spot in South Korea where they can go freely without a visa and without a lot of, um, you know, notice. They, from China, these pastors from China can go and be trained. And so word of mouth has spread, and um, they're, they're expecting double the number of um, pastors to come. The training is offered for free, and uh, we're so grateful for that. But it's going to cost about $600 per pastor for this retreat, this week of retreat. And um, so we're taking a second offering to help towards those costs of about $40,000 to sponsor those pastors and also um, the airfare for Pastor Dave. And so that's what our second offering will be for today. And so um, please lead us in worship. We ask you to help us grasp the height of your plans for us. We're aware that there's another who opposes your plans. That there is one who leads a kingdom of darkness who would not want anyone here this morning to grasp the height of your plans for us. And so we call on you, Lord, as your word is read and preached, we call on you to give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, wills that are soft and sensitive to Yours. And Lord, to protect, to protect against the one 
who does not want to see your will go forward. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done in this place and on earth. For yours is the power and the glory forever. Amen. Scripture text for this morning comes from Luke chapter 9. Thank you. You are fast. Page 1611 in the Blue Bibles. Luke chapter 9. We are journeying through the Gospel of Luke together. Jesus has just finished debriefing with his disciples from the trip that he sent them on when he gave them power and authority and sent them out to do the work that he was doing. And as that debriefing was happening, they were interrupted by crowds following him. So he continued to minister and to heal and then to feed 5,000 men and women and children. And on the heels of that, we read this. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. The Word of God. Friends, I'm going to show a brief video, uh, two minutes and some, to open the sermon. But I want to introduce you to the video before I show it. It's going to serve two purposes for us this morning. One is to lead us into this text and into the sermon. The second is this to serve as an invitation to you. So here it is. The video is going to be about a conference called Urbana, which is held every three years or has been for the past, I want to say, 60 to 80 years, put on by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And it's a gathering of mostly students, but not entirely, that um, now has reached about 20,000 people each year, Four-day conference in which people come together to worship, to hear teaching, to um, 
probe God's sense of call on their life. There is an entire auditorium filled with about 250 mission organizations that people can go from booth to booth to booth just learning about the different ways that God's at work through the church in the world. And uh, we are curious as a church of whether God would have a group from this church go to Urbana. It's going to be December 27 to 31 this year. So we're about 100 days out. And so if you have interest in attending, I'd like you to talk to or contact or email Pastor Gina, and she'll say a little bit more about that later. So again, this is an introduction to Urbana, but what we're going to see here is clips of people speaking um, over the last 50 years. And so if you'd run that, and Tim, if you'd hit the lights for us, please, for a moment. Come follow me. Come follow me, he had said. Come follow the rabbi and become like me. And they are. They are experiencing Jesus touching. They are seeing Jesus healing. They are with Jesus as He loves, as He teaches. They are a part of Jesus' work of delivering people from evil. They are with Jesus as He brings hope to hopeless, as He ministers forgiveness and freedom to thousands. And their own hearts, their own hearts are changing too. Their own hearts are are coming closer to the love of God, the Father. They're awakening to new relationship and to new possibilities. Come follow me. And they did. Go, represent me, he says. Go represent me. Here's my power. Here's my authority. Heal the sick. Preach the good news. Drive out demons. And they have been. They have been and the kingdom is advancing. The light of God is breaking through despair. The darkness is being pushed back. People are tasting hope for the first time. Lives are changing. Relationships are healing. Shame and guilt are are being exchanged for freedom and for peace. Apathy, emptiness, evil desires are being replaced by a hunger and a thirst to know God. Testimonies are flowing a mile a minute. It's like Jesus is changing the world wherever He goes. It's glorious. It's all so glorious and the disciples can feel the glory of it all. They're reveling in it. And then Jesus asks them, who do the crowds say that I am? And who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, God's Messiah. God's anointed Chosen Savior. And the moment is pregnant. It is full. It is ripe with expectation because the Jews have been waiting and the world has been needing this Savior for a long time. And He's finally here. And He's here with love. And He's here with power. And He's here with authority. And He's changing the world. And they're all with Him. And it's so glorious. And then Jesus does the strangest thing that anyone can imagine. He warns them strictly, don't you tell anybody who I am. Why does the Savior of the world not want His identity announced publicly? Why does He strictly warn His disciples, don't tell 
Because they haven't got the whole picture. They haven't got a full understanding of who Jesus is. And so if they begin to tell, if they begin to announce His identity as Savior now, they're going to announce an incomplete Gospel. They're going to start proclaiming a Gospel that is all power and glory and victory. A Gospel that might promise to change your whole life, but doesn't actually require very much from you. Healing, forgiveness, freedom, glorious. But what's the cost? The disciples don't understand this yet. And frankly, I want to tell you this morning that I think large portions of American Christianity still do not understand either. I think that many of us this morning would would be able to say that we've experienced presentations, representations of the gospel, of the good news, of what it means to be Christian that runs something like this. Every human has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The wages of sin are death. Not just physical, but spiritual and eternal death. But God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so we're led to pray a prayer of belief in Jesus. And our ticket to heaven, to eternal life, is punched. And as a bonus, we're taught there are so many things that God promises to do for you if only you'll believe the promises of Scripture. That He'll bless you and guide you and heal you and deliver you and bring fulfillment and purpose and meaning and peace and joy into your lives. And it's all so glorious. And frankly, it's all very true. But it's not the whole picture. Because what's also true and isn't nearly so often shared is that the path to glory, and there is only one path, the path to glory runs through suffering, through rejection, through misunderstanding, through self-denial. And sometimes even through death. These things aren't preached and they're not taught because they don't sell books and they don't fill churches. But Jesus says, the Son of Man, the chosen, anointed Savior of the world, He must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And He must be killed. And the third day, Raised to life. But then he says this, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow Me. So here's God's definition of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is a self-denying cross-carrying, Jesus-following person each day. Now hold that thought. Hold that thought and notice this. Jesus is speaking to the twelve whom He's already called to follow Him. Remember He said earlier, come, follow Me? He initiated. He chose. 
He said, come, right? And they've come. But now listen, he says, whoever wants. He's not talking to the crowds. He's talking to the twelve. Whoever wants. He's engaging their will again. He's already engaged it and called them, but he's engaging that will again. Whoever wants to, to be my disciple, he's clearly called them, and now he's clearly giving them a voice and a choice in the matter. Why? Because Jesus understands the difficulty of what he's putting before them. He understands they're going to be afraid. That they're going to be maybe, maybe balking inwardly. Where, where are you taking us, Jesus? Does it really have to be this way? And their hearts, afraid, might be struggling to trust His complete leadership or the complete control of the outcome of their lives to Him. Self-denial? A cross? Suffering? Rejection? Jesus, does it have to be this way? And I believe that the disciples here experience what many of us experience regularly. And that is the desire, whether known or articulated or not, to wrestle back control of our lives. To get back into the driver's seat and take over the directing of our lives. In fact, some of us here have never gotten out of the driver's seat. Jesus isn't really in control. We believe He's the Son of God. But we've not yet yielded the driver's seat of our life to Him. But Jesus has been in control of the disciples. And now He's laying down a clear and a very difficult call for for them and their hearts are wavering. And so Jesus, as He senses that wavering, He tacks on these words of challenge, but also of warning. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for Me We'll save it. And then he explains, it's no good for you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul, your very self. If anybody's ashamed of me, in my words, that is if they don't completely identify with me, obey me, allow my words to control their lives. And I'll be ashamed of them when I return in all my glory. I want us to look a little more closely at what Jesus means by save Attempting to save our lives and destroy. So if you look at the handout that was in your worship folder, on one side of it, there's, there's both these words and, and a list of some definitions. The word save is sozo. And it's got a wide meaning and a narrow meaning. So narrowly it means to save or deliver. More widely it means to protect, to heal, to preserve to save self, to make well or whole. The word for lose is apolumi, and it means to destroy fully, to perish or lose, to die or to break down. What Jesus is saying is this. I know you're scared. And if you attempt to preserve and protect your own lives, if you attempt to make your own lives well and whole in any way that excludes complete identification with and obedience to Me, 
you'll actually end up doing the opposite. You'll destroy them. If a picture helps, it's like this. It's like Jesus is saying, you will be like a drowning victim who won't relax into the arms of her rescuer, but instead who thrashes about so wildly that she actually drowns herself and the person trying to rescue her. There has to be a release and a trust. The drowning victim, in an attempt to control, to latch on to, actually drowns themselves and the rescuer. The victim who's able to trust and to do the opposite and to stop fighting, to release, is the one who gets held and preserved and protected and saved. And so Jesus is saying, if you want to not drown but live and in fact experience fullness of life, you'll need to trust Me enough not just to speak words of belief, but in fact to give Me complete control of your life. See, according to Jesus, being a Christian is about trading one life for another one. And that is, we give up a self-led life in exchange for a Christ-led life. A life of total obedience to His Word. A life filled and directed by His Spirit. And so how is it that we deny ourselves and take up our cross daily? Well, that involves a life of prayer, a life of listening for God's guidance, a life of discerning that guidance and taking steps of obedience and faith. In this way, we continue to let Jesus direct or control our lives step by step and day by day. But a good number of us who are sitting here this morning are not there yet. Jesus is not directing, controlling, step by step and day by day. There's a measure of obedience. There's a measure of love for the Lord. There's faith. But there is not a yielding of the entire control of our lives to Jesus. And um, before you make a real quick decision about, I'm, I, I have yielded or I haven't, I implore you not to make decisions right now. Listen to these questions and let them guide our thinking. Lord, bless us to be honest right now as we listen. Does Jesus Christ have your express permission to do whatever He would like with the rest of your life? Does Jesus Christ have your permission to divert you away from your chosen major or career path or current life desires and pursuits? Does He have your permission to change your retirement plans? Does He have your permission to call you into spending a chunk or a bulk or the rest of your life in any number of non-comfortable contexts? Oh, but He's not calling me to do those things. Well, how do you know? Have you ever asked Him? Does He have your permission to ask you to allow someone else to live with you? Does 
Might Jesus be able to ask you, sell your vehicle, purchase one for half the price and give the rest away? Or do the same with your home? Or live in a different apartment? Does Jesus have permission to direct your day-to-day living and decisions? Oh, but He's not calling me to do those things. Again, how do you know? Have you asked Him? Does it seem so improbable? Does it seem more unlikely than 12 fishermen and tax collectors apprenticed to the Son of God and taking the Gospel to the world? That's pretty unlikely. It was not a good career path or retirement plan for these gentlemen to leave their current callings. They did not know how provision was going to be made for their families. Some of them were married when they left and took that call to follow. It was not the wisdom of the world. How do we know that the wisdom that we're listening to that's guiding us is the wisdom of Jesus Christ? I'll ask it again. Does Jesus Christ have your express permission to do whatever He would like with the rest of your life? And if so, how would He and you both know that? Have you told Him? Have you asked Him? Have you sought Him and listened to Him? Is this seeking, listening, and unreserved humble obedience a daily reality for you? And if Jesus doesn't have express permission, and if we aren't doing these things, then we're still retaining a measure of control. We're still in the driver's seat in our life. And chances are that even though we'll struggle to admit it, a part of the reason why we're in control is because we like comfort. Because we're afraid. We're afraid what what might happen if we fully give control to Jesus. We don't fully trust Him. I have certainly had periods of my life where this was very prevalent. So when I first came to Christ, I was working at McDonald's. And uh, everyone, nearly every one of my colleagues, there's about 100 of us that worked there, uh, didn't know Jesus. And the conversation around me was constantly shallow, dirty, sinful, just, just dark. And I had this incredible new life inside me. And I was totally quiet about it. I was ashamed to represent Jesus. Why? Well, I was afraid of what other people would think of me. I was afraid of rejection. I was afraid that they wouldn't understand. I was afraid that they might make fun. I was afraid that I wouldn't have the right words. See, there was this large part of my heart that actually wasn't trusting Jesus to care for me through those reactions. And because I didn't trust Him, I was retaining control, a measure of control in my life. How did that look? That looked like me trying to manage other people's opinions of me. That looked like me trying to manage their responses toward me by what I did or didn't do or what I said or didn't say in certain situations. See, my definition of happiness at the time included having everybody, and especially my colleagues, think well of me. Maybe you struggle with that too, but maybe your definition of happiness might include living in certain places or making a certain amount of money or having a job that your family will respect or only using your gifts to serve Jesus in ways that leaving, leave you feel feeling like you're, you're in control and you're not over your head. Like, you've got it. I can do this. 
I can manage. I'm quite good at this, actually. When we're honest with ourselves, and I mean nakedly, brutally honest, it's incredible how many things that we do in an effort to protect and to preserve our personal versions of a happy and a comfortable life. To remain in control of the outcomes of our lives, especially including other people's treatment of us. And Jesus challenges all of that. Whoever wants to be a Christian, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to experience the fullness of my saving, protecting, healing, delivering, making well and whole and blessed work, everything that comes from me now and on into eternity, must deny themselves must take up this instrument that symbolizes their unity with me, their death with me to an old life and to a world that still lives in that old life, and their resurrection with me to a new life, and must follow me daily. So what is it that we're denying ourselves when Jesus says you must deny yourself? One of the best descriptions I've read comes from the poem by Mabel Williamson that's also on your handout. I'm going to read it to us now. Mabel writes, and she's speaking of Jesus Christ. He had no rights. No right to a soft bed and a well-laid table. No right to a home of his own a place where his own pleasure might be sought. No right to choose pleasant, congenial companions, those who could understand him and sympathize with him. No right to shrink away from filth and sin, to pull his garments closer around him and turn aside to walk in cleaner paths. No right to be understood and appreciated No, not even by those whom He had poured out a double portion of His love. No right even never to be forsaken by His Father, the One who meant more than all to Him. His only right was silently to endure shame, spitting, blows, to take His place as a sinner at the dock, to bear my sins in anguish on the cross. He had no rights. And I, a right to the comforts of life? No. But a right to the love of God for my pillow? A right to physical safety? No. But a right to the security of being in His will? A right to love and sympathy from those around me? No. But a right to the friendship of the One who understands me better than I do myself? A right to be a leader among men? No. But the right to be led by the one to whom I have given my all, led as is a little child with its hand in the hand of its father. A right to a home and dear ones? No, not necessarily. But a right to dwell in the heart of God. A right to myself? No. But oh, I have a right to Christ. 
All that He takes, I will give. All that He gives, I will take. He, my only right. He, the one right before which all other rights fade into nothingness. I have full right to Him. Oh, may He have full right to me. Does Jesus Christ have full right to you and to I this morning? As surely as I stand before you, Jesus is present in our midst, knocking on the door of every heart and saying, Will you surrender complete control of your lives? Will you trust me? Will you deny yourself your own desires for comfort, safety, and acceptance? And will you follow me with faith and obedience, wherever I will lead you. As I've been preaching, you can hear the emotion in my voice. But the Lord doesn't stand before us or amongst us this morning making a purely emotional appeal. In fact, He calls us to count the cost. Just like Billy Graham began that clip by saying, don't you come lightly to Jesus Christ. I want you to count the cost. So the Lord calls us. And He calls us to count that cost. And He calls us to respond to Him this morning. And we're going to make some space for responding. For saying to Jesus, yes. Yes, Jesus. These are the areas, these are the things where I've not given you control. Yes, Jesus, I trust you. So I'm going to lead us into prayer and we'll let the Lord lead how we respond. Lord, would you guide us now to know what is the most appropriate way to respond to this call that you've given us? Take up their cross and follow me daily. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves And take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Motivation is love. And even in this past week, some of you have said, Pastor Gina, I feel a little awkward about going out on the streets to strike up a conversation or to possibly pray with someone. But I'm here, and I'm doing it because I believe the Lord's calling me to do it. We've got a brother that's visiting for the first time this morning, and we're so grateful that you're here. And you're here because somebody, and it may not seem like a big thing, but for that person and some of those people, it was a big thing to go out on the streets on Thursday night asking the Lord to lead and to guide. And they met you. And you're from Kalamazoo and you just recently moved here. And you didn't have a church. And somebody prayed with you. On Thursday night, 
And Pastor Dave and I met you on Friday down here. And you're here today. Friends, taking up our cross and following him may put us out of our comfort zone. And it might put us out of our comfort zone here. Or it might be that he's calling us to go to our roommate and have a conversation. Or it might mean that we're taking a stand for righteousness in the way that we vote or the way that we speak to people. It may be that he's calling us to give up our rights for where he's leading us because there's somebody on the other side of the world that needs to hear the love of Jesus. But it says, take up your cross daily. And so today is a day that we can respond and we can say, I'm willing, Lord. I don't know where you're going to call me, but today I'm willing to be faithful. I'm willing to lay down my rights and whatever you give me to do today, Lord, I want to be found faithful. Are you willing to lay down your rights and follow him whatever he gives you to do today? And I'm going to ask if you are, that you would just stand up right where you are. It's a sign that I'm willing to take up my cross and follow you. And so there's no pressure, but if you're feeling the call, if you're saying, I want to respond, I want to respond to this message, and I'm willing to go where you're calling me to go, I'm willing to do or to give up whatever you're calling me to do or give up, trusting that your love is good and that you are faithful. And so in the presence of the Lord and one another, if you're feeling that call to respond, I invite you to stand up. And if you can't physically stand up, you can raise your hand. Lord, you see. You know the hearts. And we praise you for the work that you're doing here right now. Lord, I pray that you would give each one boldness and courage And joy, just like Jesus had the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Lord, whatever that cross is, whatever it means to identify with you, I pray that you now would bless each one that's standing with the joy of the Lord, the joy of your kingdom. Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, even as we stand to signify our willingness to lay down our lives, we remember that we're laying them down before the one who laid down his life for us. And so we recognize that we can trust your love. You led out first. You gave yourself for us. And as Joni so beautifully read, nothing can separate us from that love. And so, Lord, we declare even as... um, Even as we offer our lives in response to you, we declare our trust um, in your love and in your care. And we pray, Lord, strengthen that trust and that love in the hearts of everyone present. Lord, we also ask that you would protect, put a hedge of protection now around each one of these. Each one of these individuals, Lord, we ask that you would put a hedge of protection around them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
And even as you're seated, I want to um, tell you about one way that three individuals in our church are saying and responding to the call to lay down their lives. And it's in the, um, Pastor Dave, I'm going to ask if you would prepare the um, stage for us a minute. They're laying down their lives to serve as deacons, acting deacons. And so we're in the process, uh, an 87-year-old church plant that, as you heard before, almost came to a close about five years ago, and yet the Lord said, keep going. And today um, we're in a step in a process of becoming established as an organized church, and that means getting people in place to serve. And so we're going to have acting deacons until we actually officially become established, and then that name acting will drop off, and they'll be our deacons. What is a deacon? A deacon is a person that stands up for justice and is um, very, very merciful and helps people. And so whether it's a benevolence, a financial need, housing needs, um, finding work, getting transportation back and forth to doctor's appointments, we have all kinds of requests that come in all the time. And so these three individuals have said yes to working and serving on behalf of all of us, um, and they're going to need your help. Even as they do that, they're going to be looking for volunteers to help them with this. But we are so grateful for the role of deacon in showing mercy to the church and to the neighborhood. And so what do we look for in our deacons? We look for spiritual maturity, those that are like Christ in their actions, who exercise the role in prayer and patience and humility. And the spiritual gifts, we all have different gifts, and this is one way of using their gifts. They have gifts of wisdom service, hospitality, and mercy to fulfill that role. The deacons are going to um, typically serve four-year terms, but because we're just getting this started, we're going to have a two-year, a three-year, and a four-year term for starts. And so at this time, I'd like to invite um, Ken Adema, who's the chair of our elders, Andrew Sisson, who is our director of um, church and community connections, who the deacons are going to be working with closely, Pastor Dave is up here already, and then I'm going to ask our um, three people who have agreed to serve in this role to come forward, and that is Jan Glass, Dane Dick, and Kate Donald. So if you would like to just stand in front of one of the chairs up here so that people can see you, please. And um, excuse me for turning my back to you for a moment, but I need to ask these individuals a set of four questions. And um, this is accepting your role into the office of acting deacon. And so I'm going to ask you these questions and then ask you collectively together to answer. If you agree with this, you would say, I do, God helping me. And so the questions in the presence of the Lord and all his church here We ask you these questions. Do you believe that in the call of this congregation, God himself is calling you to this holy office? Do you believe that the Old and New Testaments are the word of God and the only infallible rule of faith and life? Do you subscribe to the doctrinal teaching of this church, rejecting all teaching which contradicts them? And do you promise to do the work of your offices faithfully, in a way worthy of your calling and in submission to the leadership and discipline of the church. And so if you agree to that and accept this office, then together your response. I 
And so a charge, um, maybe you might look at it as a challenge. We ask you, teach us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Treat everyone with respect and dignity. Minister to the rich and poor alike, both inside and outside of our church. Listen carefully to the needs presented and exercise wisdom and use the resources of this church discerningly. Help our congregation to recognize the needs of our community and would you please lead us to engage those needs in new and creative ways. We ask that you would help us to move out in that kind of ministry for God's glory. Encourage and bring the hope of Jesus to everyone that you serve. And look to the interest of others as you model for us laying down your lives to serve Christ and the church. And now to the congregation. This charge and this challenge that you are challenged as a church family to receive these deacons as Christ's gift to the church, to recognize them as the Lord's provision for healthy congregational life. Hold them in honor. Take their counsel seriously. Respond to them with obedience and respect and accept their help with thanks. Church, sustain them in prayer and offer encouragement and offer your help generously. Acknowledge them as the Lord's servants among you. And so I'm going to ask you, congregation, a question. And if you agree, then we would say all together, we do God helping us. Do you, congregation, pledge to receive them as you've been charged? And so we believe that Gold Avenue Church exists to see the love of God change our hearts, our neighborhood, and the world. Christ demonstrated this amazing, humble, servant-hearted love when he washed his disciples' feet. And so even as we're going to have Andrew read the scripture about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, you're going to see Ken and Pastor Dave and I represent Christ to these people that are agreeing now to serve as deacons, they receive the love and the washing of the Lord before they go out to serve and love others. Everyone join me in prayer. Our merciful Father in heaven, we thank you that you have provided faithful and gifted people to serve as elders and deacons. As these new office bearers assume their responsibilities, Fill them with your spirit, endow them with your wisdom, and grant them strength. Make them faithful workers in your vineyard. Under their guidance, may your church grow in every spiritual grace, in faith which is open and unashamed, and in the committed service that promotes your reign in the world. Help them to perform their duties with enthusiasm and humility. In their work, grant them a sense of sustained awe, which is rooted in daily adoration of you, their Lord. Through them, may your name be honored and your church be served. Help us, your people, to accept them gladly 
Encourage them always and respect them for the sake of your precious Son, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. As we go to serve the Lord of all, he blesses us with these words. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will, and may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. For our guest, we um, apologize, and even for our members, we apologize that this has been a longer service than normal. Thank you for your grace in that. Um, we did have some special um, ministry here this morning. And so thank you for your grace. Thank you for being here. If you are a guest in a particular welcome to the Bridge Street Mission School um, way back there, if you're, yeah. So students and staff, we're we're so grateful. And we will have a lunch um, together with you. A few of us from staff will be meeting with you. And for the rest of you, we would ask that you would just give us a little space down there. We're going to try to have a special meeting with the um, mission school students in a few minutes. Um, Those of you that watched that Urbana video, and maybe the Lord was stirring your heart to just say, I'd like to go. I'd like to know more about what's available and what the needs are around the world. Um, Please talk to me if you're interested in going to that. And Andrew, where are you? Andrew, you've got a special announcement about a block party, a way that we can lay down our lives and serve our neighbors in a real practical and super fun way. And so, um, here. First of all, sorry for those of you who uh, were planning on coming to the block party when we had it planned um, a few weekends ago, um, but really just wanted to do a much better job of, it, of welcoming each one of you into that process and welcoming our neighbors ultimately. It's a really awesome opportunity to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, as we've just heard about today. And so many of you stood up and just said, I, I want to let uh, the Lord um, just be the one who, who, who guides me every, every day. So just a, a really cool opportunity um, to put together kind of a planning team for a block party um, that can help, you know, if you have hospitality gifts or if you just like to do face paint or, or really anything. If you just, just want to have an opportunity to get involved and help plan a block party, a way to, to introduce um, Gold Avenue Church, um, but most importantly, Jesus to our neighbors. Uh, um, it'll be happening October 10th uh, is the Saturday. Um, even if you can't make the, the block party but would like to be part of the planning team, that's still an option. So um, come find me if you want to be part of it. It would probably just involve one or two meetings and getting together um, and then making some phone calls and just kind of helping organize food uh, and games and, and that sort of thing. So let me know. October 10th is the block party. It's a Saturday. Uh, it'll just be from noon until 2. If you're interested in being part of the planning team, let me know. Thank you.